night. It is 9.02. Welcome to Wealth Wednesday, everyone. How was your week? Halfway over. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Paul. No, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, much appreciated. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear this. And this is these are questions that um, we get a lot. We get a lot of questions about out-of-state investing, and we've been getting more and more about out-of-country. So super excited to kind of pick your brain tonight. And I guess we'll go ahead and kick off. Welcome to Wealth Wednesday, everyone. This is Lauren. I am at Adulting is Easy here on Twitter. This is being recorded. It'll be posted on my podcast feed, Adulting is Easy, in a few days or so. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, Clint Murphy, Stephen Wealthy and Tom the Frugal Gay. Um, and then we also have a special honor, uh, guest of honor tonight. Clint, why don't you do your 30-second intro and then kick it to someone and then we'll uh, we'll end with Paul uh, and, and learn a little more about him. Excellent, Lauren. Thanks. Will do. Hello, everybody. I'm Clint Murphy. And uh, by day, I'm a CFO of a real estate development company. We have operations predominantly in Canada, some operations in the US. In the evenings, I write, host a podcast, The Pursuit of Learning, and invest in real estate myself. So this is a passion and what I love to do. So anytime we have the opportunity to talk about it, I'm super excited and looking forward to learn from Paul. He's doing something that I want to do myself. So I will pass it over to Stephen. Your turn, bro. Thanks, Clint. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephen Wealthy. Uh, grateful to be here this evening. Um, I'm a passive income investor, uh, so I always try to find ways in which I can increase my passive income. Uh, so I primarily do that through Ethereum mining and also through dividend stocks and selling call options and cash secured puts against stocks, stock positions. So um, it's a terrific income generating strategy and i'm interested in learning more tonight about uh real estate out of state and out of province and out of country so definitely interested in learning more here tonight and we got some great experts here with lauren tom clint and paul i'm really out of my league in class here tonight so eager to learn so much from you guys Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and pass it over to Tom. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and go. Okay, my name is Tom Brickman. I go by the Frugal Gay. I am 39 years old. I left my traditional nine to five earlier this year to do the Frugal Gay. I currently officially own 21 doors now, um, seven in Dallas and 14 in Toledo, Ohio, and um, I have a resale business called Cheap Cheap Closeout. And that's a little bit about me. I'll pass it over to Paul, um, who I met through um, Twitter. And um, he is a fellow Ohio investor, a new fellow Ohio investor. And um, he wrote an article that I just, it was very well written. And um, I just, a couple of weeks ago, asked him if he'd come up and talk about his experience of living in Canada and buying in Ohio and thought it would be great to uh, get the word out that it is possible and share his story. So I'll turn it over to you, Paul. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Paul Britton. Uh, thank you so much for having me here this, uh, this evening. I'm 42 years old, uh, married, and uh, I have a three-year-old daughter. I am a police officer by trade. I am a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I live in Canada's uh, Arctic. I live and work in the second most northern uh, inhabited community uh, in Canada and on Earth. And I invest in Ohio. Well, I have three where doors. Whereabouts is that? Whereabouts in, in Canada is that? Is that... That's uh, Nunavut. It's in... Nunavut. I live in Resolute Bay, Nunavut. I was going to be my awesome, guest with Nunavut. I love it. All right. We're all on the same page here. Uh, Tom, we're outnumbered. Yeah, we number we outnumber them three to two now. Yeah. Crazy. Go Canada. Paul. Sorry. I, I, yeah. Continue, Paul. So, Paul. Uh, uh, sorry. Before before Paul starts, we just we just want to say sorry that uh, we outnumber you and apologize for that in advance. 
Yes, oh. we need to be polite and be. Yes, exactly right. We apologize right. for outnumbering you. It wasn't done on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, Paul, why invest in Ohio and not where not the Arctic? How did that kind of come about? So, there's a lot of issues with investing in where I currently live. The number one issue is that you don't own the land up here. Everything is held by the territory. And everything is a 99-year lease. Uh, that's the first issue. Second issue is getting supplies up here is unbelievably hard. There's two sea lifts a year. And then uh, every other, uh, every other uh, material uh, purchase is done by plane. So it's extremely expensive. And your return on investment is not good. So does that mean... Everybody that lives where you live owns? No. So everybody that's live, that lives permanently here uh, is rents a house from the government, but they don't actually pay rent. It's, it's a very uh, long, long story about how, how this territory was founded. So essentially the federal government pays, pays for everything. Okay. So you would have no reason to grab that 99 year lease and then turn around and rent it to somebody else. There would be no financial reason yeah. to do that. That's what I meant by own. I didn't really mean own. I meant like everybody has a 99 year lease, but nobody has like more than one and then rents to somebody else. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, plus there's no recourse if they don't pay rent. Fascinating. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah. Paul, is that any different than 99 year leases on other city or government owned lands? Like, can you still buy that or be the purchaser of that 99-year lease? And then it's your your home or lease for 99 years, so you can rent it out? So you can under certain 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 circumstances, but a uh, it, it has to be uh, someone of in, Inuit descent. So as a, okay. as, someone, as someone that comes from the South, I can't just come up here and start buying property and renting it out. Okay, so you, but you also didn't look to another area of Canada, or did you? Did you kind of start looking in Canada? And I'm curious how you ended up, first of all, in the U.S. and second of all, in Ohio. So I, so I uh, was previously posted in a community uh, four hours north of Edmonton in Alberta called Fort McMurray, and I owned a, a house hacked there, and I owned a condo as a rental, and. Uh, most people in Canada have heard of Fort McMurray as it's a uh, it's an oil town and the economy drives specifically on oil. And I had those I had two rental properties and as everyone knows, oil crashed significantly in Alberta and I ended up having to uh, give the keys back on my condo and taking a significant loss on my uh, house when I got transferred. So what I did then is that I liked the concept of real estate, but I said, okay, well, like, where did I go wrong here? And I started researching, I found bigger pockets and I started looking at different Canadian markets where we could cash flow, where the 1% rule applied, where it would make sense and so forth. And I really couldn't nail down a market that I felt comfortable with in Canada investing. And I started looking to the United States and I said, well, is it possible? Can I? And I started just, uh, taking little baby steps towards doing it. And I came across uh, turnkey uh, property providers. And I said, well, this is probably the safest way of doing it for the first property. And uh, a month ago, I, I put an offer on a property and uh, closed two weeks ago in uh, Barberton, Ohio, which is a uh, suburb of Akron that uh, has, like the whole state of Ohio, in my opinion, has a lot of good things going for it. And uh, Barbara, that area especially. So I decided to invest there. Okay, awesome. And I was wondering if, hey, everybody, by the way, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Wealth Wednesday. If you could share, tweet out the space, let other people know that you're here. If you're having a good time, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, if you like Paul's story, or, you know, just share that if you have a chance. Paul, can you break down, you said two things there that I just want to make sure that everybody understands. One is the 1% rule, and two is what turnkey is. Okay. So 1% rule is, let's say if you're, 
you buy a property for hundred for hundred twenty thousand dollars, you should be for the property to cash flow. That it, that means that property puts out a surplus of money every month. You should be able to collect a hundred a thousand two hundred in rent per month to make that happen. And uh, that is one percent rule. It's the the one uh, percent of the purchase price in rent per month. And turnkey means it's a company that provides turnkey rental properties to buyers that come with uh, renovated property, tenants, and property management in place. Awesome. Thank you for defining those. And so when I've been, whenever I've heard of turnkey, it seems to me like those people can get a little shady just from what I've read. And I was curious if that's true. Like, are so, like, are the numbers good? Did you have to kind of watch out for which turnkey company you went with? What's the vetting process like? So I, um, like I'm a police officer and I, and I just, I investigate by trade. I'm skeptical. And I, I looked at each uh, company that I was considering buying in and I just looked at their reviews and I went with a company called rent to retirement. They're very active on bigger pockets. Their CEO is very open and transparent about their business model, how they make money and, and what they do. Uh, you had def- just because the property is turnkey, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do any of your own due diligence. I did about, uh, I looked at about 10 to 20 deals before I pulled the trigger on one. So you definitely have to run your own numbers to make sure it works for you. Good. Okay. Tom, I saw your hand. Yes. I just wanted to add, um, and I've heard this experience twice with these companies, with um, people that have come to me. A lot of times it starts out at one price, and then by the time it's closed, it's quite another. And in both cases with two different companies, I've had people come to me and they're like, you know, this deal started out at 180000 By the time it closed, it was $205,000. i am negative $41 a month cash flow. So I think what Paul did is super smart. And do your homework on them. Because I keep having people come to me that go to these companies that expect a certain price and a certain closing amount. And by the end of the deal, it's it's just not a very good deal. And... You know, one of them said, you know, should I just dump this and lose 20000 And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I don't like losing 20000 I don't know that I'd pull out at this this exact moment or or anything. But I, I think that that needs to be stressed to anyone here that if you are thinking about looking at these um, turnkey people that bring you properties that have tenants in place that have, you know, you need to do your homework because the last thing you want is to put all your money into something. And then by the end of the deal, it's not adding up. So that is super important. And I really want to hit that point home. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, Tom. These companies, so they have just at any given time, they just have what, like a handful, 10, a dozen properties that they are trying to sell as turnkey rentals and you kind of pull up their portfolio and look at it or they list on the MLS. How does that work, Paul? So the company that I think they're all a little bit different. I know the, the way I bought uh, the, my property in Barberton, I scheduled a meeting with one of their advisors and he, and we went through our the criteria I was looking for and he sent me links to a bunch of different places some I was like, yes, some they meet them. Some I was like, no, until I found one I really liked. Then I said, I'd like to reserve that property. I was sent over a contract. I signed a contract and then we went through the financing process. Sorry, Lauren, a big question as a Canadian. How, how do you get through the financing? What does that look like? And does that get complicated when you go from one to five to 10? So, Financing definitely was the hardest part about getting this uh, deal done. So there are companies that do this specifically. They lend to investors that want that live in Canada, Israel, uh, like Europe, Australia. They want to invest in the United States, and they they let they do that specifically, and they understand that. Uh, but 
at this point that when I was going through this process, the, the rates were just, were very volatile. So the lender I was, I was uh, using just stopped uh, processing loans and said, we're not going to, we're not going to do any more loans for another, uh, for a 30 day period. And the seller on the other end of the deal said, uh, I'm not, we don't want to wait that long. So what I ended up doing is closing in all cash. And right now I'm in the process of refinancing to get, uh, 75% out. Clint, any follow-up questions? I thought you might have one. Yeah. I'm wondering roughly, I mean, we're pro- it's definitely different than here in Canada from what Tom shares in Ohio, but what are you roughly looking at to close on that all cash on a home in Ohio and how much are you going to be able to refinance out? So I was lucky enough to, uh, to be, uh, holding some significant cash up here. And I, uh, 154,000 was the price us price and it was about 186 uh with the current exchange rate that i had to to, uh, bring to the table and i'll tell you uh moving 186 thousand dollars from a bank in fort mcmurray to a title company in uh summit county ohio was uh not easy um it got the attention of uh some high level bankers in toronto and i got a couple phone calls on that one ridiculous. uh, Any sense, Paul, as you do more of these, is that going to get easier or is that actually going to get more difficult for you? I think it's going to be easier because I, like I have a America, I have a LLC. So I bought, so I, I bought the property in the name of my, uh, my LLC in the United States, which I formed. And I'd have to, give a shout out to the company I use rent to retirement. They were, they guided me through the whole process. They recommended I use uh, Nevada corporate headquarters to set up an LLC in Nevada uh, so that you can, and then your property is owned by a uh, real estate trust, which is owned by your LLC for uh, privacy. It's uh, those are all things that I wouldn't have, uh, known about had I had I not gone turnkey for this very first property and uh, I'm, gr- I'm great, grateful that I had uh, that kind of guidance first off I also opened a, an, an American bank account so I bank with RBC here in Canada but RBC has a branch in uh, the United States called RBC Bank and they uh, you can seamlessly open a, a, a bank bank account in the United States with where you can move money back and forth uh, very easily when they're like marketing these properties, Paul, they give you numbers, right? They're like, this is why the property is worth this. I could rent it for this or the, we, have, we have renters in there for this. This is what the expenses are. I was curious when you did your own research on that, how close your numbers were to the kind of advertised numbers. They were, uh, they're pretty close. Um, the, the only part that differed was the interest rate that they were offering all their rates at 4%. But uh, as a foreign national investing in the United States, you're looking at uh, um, between six, five and up to eight is what the rates you'd be looking at. Okay, right. And did you so did you um, how did you decide on outside of Akron then specifically? Did you find a turnkey company first and go from there? Or did you find like Akron and then figure out how to buy there? So I'd always I'd always been interested in in Ohio. I just. Like I was looking at Columbus, I was looking at uh, all the major uh, spots in in Ohio, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Toledo, uh, Akron, Dayton, and I just this one specific deal um, stuck out to me. It was a a duplex with a, a long term tenant in place. Like the tenant had actually been there for ten years. Uh, the rents had just jumped up in that neighborhood because the uh, Amazon had just moved a fulfillment center into that area and uh, it brought a ton of new jobs. I looked up on, on neighborhood scout. I looked at it and it had a very, very, very good review on neighborhood scout. Most of the, all the 
the neighborhood fundamentals were really good. The schools were good, uh, low crime, population increase. Like there's all the thing, all the things you want to see in uh, in a rental property neighborhood. Interesting. Okay, I have some more questions, but everybody, if you have questions or out of state investing in, uh, stories or things like that, feel free to request the mic for sure. It doesn't have to just be me just absolutely grilling Paul here. Um, Paul, did you travel to Ohio? So I've been, so when I closed, uh, closed this on this deal, I, I have never been to Barberton before in my life. I, I looked at it. I, I did all this. I street viewed it. I, uh, used neighborhood scout, um, all the, all the, all the tricks that the internet provides you, but I've never actually, uh, been to that area. Was that scary? It honestly, it was, it was terrifying. And what's the most terrifying part was that I bought all cash because it was, it was, it's always been drilled into me since I started my real estate journey that you want to use leverage, uh, other people's money. Uh, that's the way to real wealth. And that's, but going, but going all cash to just this specific deal, this one time, uh, is how the deal had to get, had to get done. Uh, I was running out of time and, uh, and that's just how the deal unfolded. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's awesome. Um, what about Sorry, like, no, just, Oh, I, go ahead. I find it interesting just with a, an all cash deal there in Ohio, cause you're 186,000 bucks. I think you were saying it was in Canadian currency, right? You wouldn't have been able to get any anything for that in in alberta you're familiar with the alberta market um yeah and clint knows then the bc and vancouver area so here you, you take you know that's a bit of arbitrage there where you're able to take the cash that you have in hand go to a different market use no leverage whatsoever but get probably as good cash on cash return um as you would yeah. at home and have zero leverage and zero interest rate or, you know, there's no, there's no risk there. So that's pretty cool how that whole thing worked out. How could I oh, yeah, it... start this if I wanted to do it myself, if I wanted to go to maybe Cleveland, Ohio, or it, it, sorry, in Ohio or anywhere, how would I go about doing it? Is there a website I can so go what... to or is there, yeah. If I, if I wanted to invest out of state, the first thing I would do would be to read David Green's book long distance uh, real estate investing. And if people don't know who David Green is, he's the one of the co-hosts of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And he he, is, he essentially wrote the book on how to invest out of state. Um, he was a police officer in the Bay Area, which is uh, San Francisco, Oakland. And he wanted to invest in real estate, but for obvious reasons, being a police officer and the wage he had, he couldn't invest in his hometown, so he had to look elsewhere to to invest. And he, just by trial and error, he um, he's now you know quite wealthy, very successful real estate investor. And he wrote the book on on uh, the playbook on how to do this with uh, lower risks. Tom, how how close are you to where Paul's rental property is? So he's probably, he's on the other side of Ohio, so maybe um, two and a half uh, to three hours. Um, but it's a great spot right outside of um, Akron. And like he, he just nailed every, you know, there's some increase in growth there, um, better neighborhoods. So he avoids the big city um, issues that Cleveland and Toledo have. Uh, he's in that sweet suburb that is desirable and rentable and um has like you said the amazon building right you know down the road those are all things going for it so i uh i love that and and when i spoke with him originally i'm like why barberton and he broke it all down for me and um to piggyback on that book that he just recommended anything on bigger pockets. I always point people that way, but I found financing for my commercial space, which I could have never financed if I didn't find the bigger pockets forum. So it's a free biggerpockets.com website and you can just, there's message boards set up for every state for different countries. And, you know, I found financing 
through a forum, through someone else, buying a commercial space in Ohio that I would have never even thought to try and uh, pick up a, a space this way. So I think that's such a, a awesome tool that's available to everyone to just get on there and start digging around where you're at and where opportunities are. Absolutely. And this is not sponsored by Bigger Pockets. Um, we have a question, I think, from Dr. Dividend. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, hey, everybody. Dr. Dividend here. Um, I had a question for Paul. Um, is there any other, I know you find Ohio a compelling real estate market. Do you find any other states in America compelling? Any other neighborhoods in Ohio? Or are you just um, sticking with this one property for now? I'd just like to know uh, any other spots that you had been looking at. So I really liked also Indianapolis area. It uh, hit all the same uh, check marks that uh, Ohio did for me. It's just that there wasn't the amount of small multifamily in Indianapolis, uh, th which I was looking for. Also, I was looking at also the suburbs of Detroit, where there's some really... Uh, really good neighborhoods on the outskirts of Detroit that are benefiting from a lot of the revitalization that's happening there. And uh, those are the two markets I'd looked at, like I'd looked at California and all those places and it just, there's like, it doesn't come close to cash flowing. Everything is an appreciation play there. And that's just not the uh, type of investor that I'd like to be at this point in my career. I, Cash flow, I think, is uh, is key, and that's that's what eliminates the the risk. Like money, in in my experience as a police officer and a real estate investor, money solves problems. And if you have money coming in every month, those problems are really reduced. Thanks so much for sharing. I, yeah, California market is insanely expensive. Um, same, I find the same thing in the New England area where I'm from. Um, so it's cool that you find some gems uh, turnkey ready to go and we're able to have the guts to pull the trigger from uh, far away. So cool. Thanks for sharing. No, I thank you for uh, having me guys on here. It's uh, been a great pleasure. And I, I really like sharing my story because it, because if I can do it from Canada's Arctic, I think anybody could do it from anywhere really. So question, um, you said you're married. What does your spouse, what did your spouse think when you were like, hey, I'm going to wire $186,000 to another country and buy a place I've never been to? So originally, like we kind of, we butted heads about it. But I, like my wife is also, she's a police officer as well. She's on, uh, she's on leave because there's only two of us up here. So we had uh, kind of uh, butted heads about it. But then I bro I just broke it all down to her about why it's not really that different than investing in a place next door. Uh, we got a, we know this property's real. This is a legit company. They sell hundreds of properties a month. Uh, this is an old concept. Real estate is like the third oldest profession after espionage and being an escort. So we're not the first people to make, uh, make money in real estate and we won't be the last. And, it, uh, I just broke it all down and, and presented the case to her and the numbers. And it, uh, I said, ideally, I told her like, ideally we don't want to buy all cash. That's not our, our business plan. That's not our motto. Uh, but in this certain case, uh, it had to get done because of the, the lending situation at the time. Okay. Okay, cool. I was just, I was just curious. Um, and I, I know Dr. Dividend kind of um, touched on your future plans there, but I was yeah. wondering like, what about like your team? Do you use the turnkey company? Like, I mean, do you, I guess, do you not need a realtor? What about a property manager, contractor, maintenance person? What, what about all of those things? So part of the turnkey model is that the property management and the of the core four that you need to invest at a distance, which is your deal finder, your lender, your proper property manager, and your contractor are all under one roof. So it's all there within my property company. All the, the maintenance people are all, uh, all there and provided by them. 
So when you are you going to buy another one when you cash out refi this place? Yeah, so I'm actually going to try to buy three properties consecutively here. I want to do, I want to look at another market to maybe get uh, some some uh, to kind of hedge my uh, risk a little bit. Maybe try another market, um, but I'm definitely going to buy another one right away here in Barberton. I have a, a deal find my deal finder that manages uh, all the properties there. He uh, he says he runs out of uh, buyers before he runs out of deals. So, mm-hmm. there you go, Stephen. You can do it. I'm so excited! <laughs> I can't wait to try one out. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you? Are you? <laughs> so have you? Sorry. Okay, Paul. This time, when you do it again, what will you do differently? So, I'm going to have better financing, and I'm also going to uh, uh, make sure my my actual LLC business bank account is set up because right now I'm using my, uh, my American personal account to receive money and uh, pay for things. I'm going to also uh, order a, a credit card under my LLC so I can start building credit in the United States under my business name. These are, uh, these are things that I wish I would have had set up first, but uh, just what was happening with the deal and how fast it moved, uh, I didn't have the time. And I'm also waiting on a EIN number from the IRS, which is called an employee employer identification number, which allows you to open bank accounts, file taxes. It's the same as a SIN number in Canada, but for a business in the United States. And oddly enough, the IRS won't take a phone call from Canada. So I'm uh, waiting for them to mail out my document. Of course they won't. Of course they won't. We do have, we do have two, I had two questions come in or two comments actually on the space. One of them, Paul, is, is there a minimum cash on cash return or other metric that you use for out-of-state investing? I know you said the 1% rule, but was there a cash on cash return or any other metrics you were looking at when you were evaluating deals? Like I really liked cash on cash between eight and 12%. I think that's a sweet spot in this, in the market, how it is right now. I know some people are only like, they only will do 12. I know Brandon Turner only does 12, but uh, what I was looking at for this deal specifically is not a home run. I just wanted to get on base, prove that the concept works and prove to myself that it could be done and it's repeatable and we can build wealth this way in to real estate. I am a huge fan of that. Even if you kind of just have an okay deal, I mean, don't lose money on your first deal, right? But anything short of that, you're going to learn so much so quickly about yourself, your risk tolerance, how you are as, you know, a landlord, a business owner, all of these things. And so I totally love that like get on base. I love every sports analogy, so that's awesome. Um, another question that I had is, are there any reputable turnkey companies in Canada? And Paul, this probably isn't specifically for you, but if anybody can answer that, um, I don't know if the person that asked it is still in here, but that was a question that we had. I, I don't think there's much opportunity to buy turnkey properties in, in the way that Paul's talking about here in Canada. Perhaps you can go back to the to the coastal provinces, or you may be able to hit certain areas of Winnipeg, but generally we don't approach the 1% rule even closely in every, in, in any province in our country, uh, province being our version of the state. Okay. Yeah. I make, that makes sense. Um, let's see another question here. <clears throat> oh, Paul, how do you still cash flow? when you refinance and then have the debt on the property is the question. So, so we're going to cash flow. I'm going to take out uh, 70, 70%. That'll give me 30% equity still. And I'm still going to cash flow about 200, $250 a month after that's putting away for a CapEx vacancy maintenance and property management. So what are you cash flowing right now without a loan on it? So it's about without a loan, it's about just over a thousand dollars a month. Okay, got it. 
So instead, you're going to buy at least two more properties with that same money. If each of those cash flows 250 bucks, say, then you're going to be getting 750 instead of the thousand you're getting now. But you're getting um, any sort of appreciation that you have, the loan pay down, tax benefits, and all of those other things. Yeah, because at that at that point, I could in five years, I could have uh, those two properties with loan pay down, the cash similar cash flow and uh possible like i'm not i never really i don't really bank on appreciation i i think that's i'm a big believer like brandon turner always says you know appreciation is like the icing on the cake you should never count on it because once you're uh once you're banking on appreciation you're not really investing anymore you're you're more speculating on what the market's going to do and nobody nobody can predict what the market is going to do yeah, that makes sense. That's a good point. Um, we talk about that a lot. It's hard to get a property that cash flows and appreciates unless you maybe go the route I've gone with some of my places, which is, you know, STRs or something like that. Go ahead, Tom. Mm-hmm. So this is my answer on why I do what I do, but I I have way more money invested in my seven doors in Dallas than I do in my 14 doors in Ohio, but I have exposure to both, you know, Ohio is strictly um, cash flow and Dallas typically is my appreciation. Um, and that's kind of why I do both markets. And when I get approached about a different market, I'm, I'm sticking with my two markets because I have my teams in place. And, and this is exactly why I do what I do to have that type of exposure in both markets. So if something goes horribly awry in one, then I'm, I'm covered in the other and vice versa. So Tom, do you agree with, I think that's probably David Green, the core for the deal finder, the lender, the property manager and the contractor. Do you agree with that being like the team that you need? I find my own deals. Typically I haven't had a deal brought to me, but I, I have recently for clients uh, just today, I had a client go through an off market that came to me. So I understand the importance of it. I just have never used the deal finder, but the other three, yes, I definitely agree on. Gotcha. Go ahead, Steven. Yeah. I've, I've often wondered that Tom, you got your two markets there, Ohio and Texas and you got a lot of strength in both of those. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the teams that you have. If you're going to expand into another market, go to a third, um, which one would it be? And how would you go about establishing those systems? The same way I established them uh, the first time, which is trial and error. And like lately, I, I was running deals with a, a client, and it was these numbers really make. Dallas look crappy when you look at Houston, um, but they just don't have the appreciation on rents. But then after running the numbers uh, back and forth, I just got nervous with no systems in place. These deals in Houston didn't make that much sense. And then I think it was Lauren I was talking to. Houston has a whole nother level of um, flood insurance, and I just am not familiar being in flood zones. And, and I did have the one property in Florida and I, I was familiar with the process there, but I just didn't want to throw that out there. So the, if I went to another market, I would probably go to either another Ohio market or I'd go a little bit up north to like Oklahoma um, where there is some affordability still. All right. And the next question I have for you is on a level of one to 10, 10 being highest, how stressful is it managing 20 properties in two different states. So I have um, 14 doors with a property manager and he has been going all day today because we have a vacancy. We have a key turnover. We have um, furnaces being serviced. You got to get your furnaces done in Ohio in the summer um, because the last thing you want is furnaces going out in the winter. So it is stressful and I have really good days and then I have weeks and weeks of quiet Um, I had a very rough August. I'm glad it was no spend August because I had a lot of expensive repairs in Texas and I had a lot of money going into Ohio because I have the vacancies from my May renovation and I purchased another one in July and I purchased another one this month. 
So it's not easy, but once it's done, it kind of goes on autopilot and is nice. And I, I'm thankful that I have that manager to do all the running around, do the showings up there. And, and yeah, so it has its good and its bad in, in both states. And you just quit your nine to five in January. Before that, you were doing your nine to five and all of this at the same time. I think you had 18 or 19 doors back in January. And now you've got an extra two. Yeah, doing- I think I was I was at 16 back in January or because se- I've bought um, I bought one in Dallas and I've bought four in Ohio this year. Uh, and I did sell off one in Dallas back in May, which gave me the ability to buy these ones in cash in Ohio. And I'm doing something similar. So uh, what I'm seeing with a lot of lenders is they won't write any loans for below 100000 So what I'm doing in Ohio is I'm buying these twenty five thousand to forty five thousand dollar properties and I'm doing the repairs and I'm getting them rented and then I'm taking two or three of them to the bank and getting portfolio loans on them on the back end. Um and by selling that one property off in May, it has allowed me to buy these couple in cash and take them back. And uh yeah, I was doing the the sixteen doors and uh, working at, at the movies and um my resale business and and just like rentals, my resale business goes in in spurts. Like we will have three days of no sales and then all of a sudden you'll have fourteen sales come through. Like you can always tell that Friday's payday because those sales like start popping all day Friday. And then you can also tell like Monday mornings, I sell so much makeup on Monday mornings. So they forgot that they're out of makeup and I don't know what happens, but Monday mornings, those, those makeup sales come flying into my inbox and I'm not complaining, but it's, it's like anything it's busy, busy, busy. And then a big lull. So it's a lot easier. People say, well, you're not really retired. You're just, you're self-employed. And I agree with, with that statement to a point, but Another statement is at this moment, if I didn't work and I just turned both of these over to management companies, my resale business and my my real estate business, I would be work optional. And I put things on my calendar that matter to me, and that's where I'm at. I'm not um, asking anyone for PTO anymore, and that's probably my favorite part of not having a nine to five is just being able to go. Love that. Uh, one second, uh, Dr. Dividend. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. There's just one more question that came in, but you can go first, Stephen. No, I just wanted to, Tom won't say this because he, he's too modest, but he's only 39. And it's incredible what he's accomplished. So I just want to tip my hat to the guy, 39, and he's running two, two businesses and uh, running a real, a real estate empire. That's called what it really is for one guy to yeah. manage that much. It's incredible. So I know. And I think when, like, we all met, like, last summer, right? I think Tom had, like, 10 doors then. And he's, like, 21. It's just, it's insane. It's so crazy um, in a good way. Um, let's see. Okay, the question was, and I, I this person said, are there any, real, any investor-friendly real estates in the, it says the CA market. I assume that's California. Any investor-friendly agents in the California market? Um, that was Carlos, if you have one for him. Um, all right, go ahead, Dr. Dividend. Dr. Dividend, are you there? So, so what does he mean by, do you have any, what was the question again? Investor-friendly real estate agents. I mean, so. Agents that we know of? Yeah, or if there are any in this space, I think is what they're asking. If we know anybody, if there are any in this space. I mean, an investor-friendly agent would just be, you know, there's people, I've worked with agents where, you know, they they don't, you know, an investor is going to have their number. And some real estate agents have this idea of why won't you just pay what they're asking if it's worth that by comps, right? But I'm like, I don't care what the comps say. I know what I cash flow at and I this is the offer that I can make. And so, you know, some there's a big difference between investor friendly and not. So I understand the question. California, I don't I don't know um, if anybody knows anybody there or not. Yeah, we got to we got to narrow it down because California is a big state. And I know investor friendly in Los Angeles. I know investor friendly in San Diego, but it's not going to be helpful if you want to buy in certain corners of California. So we really need to know, you know, the market or the county because 
if they're up north, they're not going to be able to help down south in California. Well, yeah, and speaking of, uh, you know, speaking of David Green, he's got a team probably throughout all of California, and he'd probably be pretty investor friendly, I would think. All right, Dr. Dividend, welcome back. Hey, sorry, guys. I don't know why I just got disconnected, but um, my question was for Tom. Um, I think you had mentioned that you had 14 doors managed by a property manager, which leaves um, a lot to manage by you, I'm assuming. Um, how do you balance all those doors? Do you feel like you're on call all the time? And if not, how do you balance that, have that work-life balance? I'm doing the follow-up stuff on the 14 doors in Ohio because he gets the calls if there's emergencies. He has the contacts for the people. I'm just doing the follow-up to make sure, like we just had a landscaper at the beginning of August who'd been doing our lawns for three years and then he broke his foot and then all of a sudden I was scrambling with him to try and get quotes and I got a quote. So I, I have a decent balance because I'm just doing the follow-up work and making sure, you know, I'll, I've been up to Ohio a couple times this summer. I'm going back up next month and I'm just kind of doing that follow-up stuff. And then as far as the seven here in um, Texas, it really goes in, in spurts. And um, earlier this month I was in Ohio and, and something came in and it was almost midnight um, Ohio time. And it was one of those where the AC went out, there was water going everywhere. It was a hundred plus degrees. And I, I had the AC guy there in the morning, but I had um, my husband go over and take over a portable air conditioner for the night. So he didn't have, or so the tenants didn't have to go the night without any air conditioning. Cause in Texas, that's just, um, it's really hard. That's all I'll say about that. So having people that I can lean on and, I think that's key, and that's why when I was in the Cleveland market, I was losing money every single month that I owned the house there um, because I didn't have a team to lean on. I would hire a property manager, and they'd fall through. I had to do eviction. It was just one of those one thing after another after another, and if you don't have these systems in place or these people in place, it can turn into a nightmare real quick. Yeah, that was actually going to be my, thank you for sharing. That was actually going to be my follow-up question. Have you ever dealt with eviction? And if so, um, how do you go about that? That's one thing that has, has uh, like, kind of just held me from being a real estate investor. Um, it's one, uh, one thing I've had questions about. So if you want, if you could share. Yeah, absolutely. So I've done three full evictions, um, one and a half in Texas. And when I say a half, like the eviction got filed, but then they ended up getting out of the house before the eviction happened. So we didn't have to complete. We didn't have to have a sheriff come. And, and in my opinion, um, I'm, I'm entering year 19 now of real estate. Um, three in 19 years is really not that bad. I am in two landlord friendly States. So usually from start to finish, it's six weeks, sometimes eight on the on the high end. And, you know, that's a question that I always ask when I do coaching is, how long are you comfortable paying a mortgage on something if you're not collecting rent? And if, if they're saying, you know, I don't know, a month or two, I always discourage that because even being in landlord-friendly states, you know, you're going to be out rent two to three months. And, and that needs to be factored in when you're looking at something to invest. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've done our real estate nightmares episode. But anyone who's considering real estate invest investing, you always have to think of the dark side. It's a challenging, dirty, hard business, which is why you get wealthy slowly over time, because a lot of people aren't willing to put up with the headaches. Uh, every one of us has had nightmares and horror stories our very first tenant in our first rental property had to be evicted. And on the way out, they stole our washer and dryer. And so you can, you can look at it and say, I'm never going to invest in real estate again. Or you can also look at it and say, how bad must that poor person's life have been in order that they needed to steal and sell our washer and dryer for, you know, drug money or, or whatever have you and we're just going to put the money back into the property we're going to suck it up and we're going to keep doing this because we know that in the fullness of time over 10 20 30 years we'll be wealthy 
And so no one should be looking to invest in real estate if they're looking to invest for short-term appreciation and short-term wealth. They should be investing in this space if they have a, a 20 to 25 year horizon. Because when you look at it, if you if you own, and, and this is my simple example I come back to, if, if and when I own $100 million worth of real estate and 25 years later, I have zero debt on that real estate, my net worth is up $100 million. And so as long as you can acquire and be patient, Real estate will pay you in the long run. You will face nightmares along the way. You will face evictions. You will face uh, putting fish behind the walls like they did to Stephen and his family. So there are a lot of things you'll have to deal with. But if you have a long-term outlook, and it's like we say with anything, investing, growth, personal development, the longer your horizon, the more likely you're going to make the right decision and the better decision. I'm going to pass it back to you, Lauren. Yeah, Clint, I, I remembered about the washer and dryer. I forgot that was your first tenant. And it makes me wonder sometimes how many people have a bad experience initially. And, you know, I, I feel for them if they get out. It's totally understandable. But, uh, you know, if you can overcome that right away, I mean, you could go years without having anything that bad happen. Hey, Blind Luck, how's it going? Good. Yeah, Clint, that's a great story about the washer and dryer. Um, I had a question for the panel here. When you're in real estate and you have an adverse event like that, at what point do you decide just to let go and, and move on versus you know chasing after the money for a washer and dryer or a tenant trashing a, a, a unit, something like that? I feel like there's probably a, a point where you're better off just moving on versus trying to you know uh, claw back uh, some lost revenue. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in, and then and then the other the other group can share in their experiences what they've seen. For for us, we had two options. I mean, the tenant was gone. The, the there was a it was a couple. The husband had a warrant out for his arrest, and so you know you look at that and you say, okay, we're not going to recover from these people. And some owners will say, well, I still want to teach them a lesson. I mean, what lesson do they really need to learn? when they're in that state and they're in that deep, I, I, I feel like they, they're probably in a worse situation than I am. Financially, we can bear it. You get to recover your, your tenant deposit, your security deposit. Then you look to the next thing you look to is your insurance. And what you're always going to do with your insurance is you run the analysis to say, what's our deductible? What are we going to pay? What do we get above our deductible? So what's the net in our genes? And then how is this going to affect my long-term insurance for my properties? So if I have multiple properties, do I really want to impact my insurance rates by having a claim when I'm only going to get 200 bucks? Because by the time I pay the deductible, I, I'm, I'm only in pocket 200 bucks. So you start to do that analysis. And for us, it, the analysis just said, go buy a washer and dryer. Tom, Steven... Paul, any different experience for you guys on, on some negative outcomes? So I'll just, I'll share mine. I've had appliances stolen a couple times over the 18 years. And the first time I did an eviction, I went through the whole process. I paid extra. So um, if the person ever got a, a W-2 job again, their wages would be garnished. I never ended up collecting anything on that from 18 years ago. So I've stopped wasting my time, energy, and effort into that. I, I still go through and I file the eviction, so hopefully they don't do this to another landlord. And then, like, last year when I had the tenant, last July I had a tenant that moved out um, abruptly. I just, I filed a police report because the appliances walked out with the tenant, but I wasn't going to chase them and try and do a recovery on that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Lauren, how does this impact SDRs at all? They don't steal your washer and dryer for the most part. A lot of times they fly in, so can't really fit those on a plane. There's a lot of little stuff that people could take, right? Whether that's towels or pillows or uh, they could just break stuff and throw it away. Or, you know, like somebody spilled coffee on my uh, 
on my one of my guest books, right? And just threw it away. They did tell me, but like they could have just done that. And I was just like, oh, the guest book disappeared or whatever, you know? So there's a lot of little stuff. I, I, for, I've been very lucky, like 300 groups of guests. And I don't, I, I can't even think of one thing that's gone missing. There's a, we've, we've actually more so accumulated things. Like I got like a couple, a couple people bought fans. We've got a, stuffed bunny you know books games you know stuff just kind of actually shows up so i'm i'm net positive um on the belongings front for sure um but some of it is you know when it comes to like linens and pillows and stuff like a hack kind of is have stuff that's less nice than they would have at their house probably right so if you've got even a decently nice place and you're charging fairly for it Right. And people that are, you know, that have, you know, decent places at home. Right. They don't I promise you, they don't want my Amazon towels. They just don't. They don't want my Amazon pillows. They got nicer stuff at home. So I haven't had any issues with that. Even in my I have one, my six unit, the three um, STRs I have there. Everybody basically you're, you're driving there like no matter what. It's just it's pretty far out of the way. It's two hours from Jacksonville, two hours from Orlando, also two hours from Tampa. So pretty much people are driving there and stuff doesn't disappear there even when people have their cars, too. So I really I haven't had any issues um, and I take security deposits, too. So that probably keeps people from doing anything. And I've, I've never never had to keep it except for when those those people threw that party that one time. So not no issues for me. That was the sweet sixteen party you had. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like moving on to probably just the best course of action. A lot of times, to Tom's point, if, you know, you could let this thing hang over your head for eighteen years and still have nothing to show for it. Yeah, I mean, stuff used to like really bother me. Like when I had my, um, when we had our like squatter in two thousand nineteen, no, two thousand twenty, right, right when COVID happened, we had the squatter and. You know, she changed the locks and stole the utilities and then the utilities got shut off again, but she continued to use the facilities, if you know what I mean. And, you know, that was pretty gross. It was pretty nasty. I was pretty bummed out about that. Um, we were like mid renovation of this 120 year old property that I'm in right now. And that just felt like a lot at the time. Um, now, when stuff happens with the STRs, like, I, I don't know, it could be like a guest shows up and the cleaner forgot to clean. That happened a couple of weeks ago. It's like, it just, it, it's just a problem. It's just a, it's a problem that I can fix. I know that I, if I've fixed so many problems in the last year and a half that I've been doing STRs in the last five years that I've been a landlord, it just kind of rolls off me at this point and doesn't, but at first it did, at first it did kind of stick with me for like a couple of days or the evening and I would get kind of bummed about it. And I would really wonder how can I do any more of this? And the answer is you actually just kind of get better and stronger and more resilient over time. Uh, that's been my experience anyways. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. I'd like to echo that point as well. It, the, the more you go through it, the the easier it gets. Like I had, uh, I had a really bad experience when I rented out my condo in, in Fort McMurray where a coworkers, a coworker and a spouse split up and they had a kid and she needed a place to stay for a couple months before she moved out of town and she moved into my place and absolutely treated it like a garbage dump. Like took lint and threw it behind the dryer, uh, dirty diapers out on the, on the balcony. My condo board was infuriated with me. Uh, that one kind of bugged me because it's, uh, someone that I thought I could trust took advantage. But, uh, from then on it, that was kind of the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I've been lucky. Uh, even with, well, I have a short term as well out in uh, Nova Scotia and um, I've been lucky, like a book has gone missing and the guy, some people smoked in the screened in porch. It's the worst thing that's happened to me there. So I've been pretty lucky. So who, who puts, who stuffs extra lint into the dryer vent? And then also that's a really goes good... ahead and put diapers, like those are like acts of, I don't know. Well, that like you'd have to like, and I went back to what Clint was saying to do something like that. You'd have to like, there's something wrong with you, right? Like you, like whatever I could, whatever I could do to you is not, uh, uh, it's not the worst issue that you're dealing with at that point in your life. Um, because I've always like when I've rented properties, I've, I've rented earlier in my life, I rented apartments and I always treated it 
like it was my own because it's that's how it was raised right but if for someone not to do that uh they they had to be going through something personal at that point yeah for sure and um i did get a chance to weigh in on the, how i approach this sort of same thing you might wait because i don't have as much experience as the rest of the panel up here but i do i do just roll with it um i have enough positive cash flow out of the rental that i do have that uh i'm just ex- very grateful that i have a tenant and i just roll with it it's it, it's okay it's more of a tax write-off and a source of capital appreciation for me i'm a little more in the camp with clint on doing real estate for capital appreciation so uh just the market that we're in and stuff over here is is different so it doesn't cash flow quite the same but I do get good cash flow out of it anyways, and so I just I just roll with it. I'll replace the dryer, the washer, the whatever the appliance might be. And I've had the place since 2004, so it, it's a, so a lot of real estate investing that I've seen from people on the panel and also my personal life is uh, it's a personality too. Like if you love working with people, hosting them, managing them, like in terms of the the leases and the paperwork that comes with it and you love owning property and owning land and owning a physical asset that you to some degree control it's a terrific investment and people love it uh so short answer i just roll with it when there's a problem and i I don't have any true issues with it and stuff i've been very fortunate i haven't had any like uh lint stuffed into the dryer vent the story that clint was talking about with the fish stuck behind the wall uh that was my father-in-law he had uh, a tenant who got really mad um had a bit of an outburst or flare-up and it wasn't fish it was deer he stuffed deer into the wall drywalled it and let it sit there and over the course of the next two or three months it began to stink like (laughs) rotten rotting flesh in the wall and it took them quite a long time to uncover what had had happened and you can imagine they peel off the drywall and there's this deer meat inside the wall and it's got all sorts of extras to go with it and stuff so that was it but you know my father-in-law as well too just yeah just roll with it it's all good you know like these people are probably going through something that just be grateful you don't have to go through with it you know what i mean like be grateful that you don't have the desire to put meat in the wall and taper it up and paint it and everything like that like yeah i don't know so anyways that's my that's my take on that lauren i'll pass it back to you i probably took up too much time i feel like i can smell that like right now where I'm sitting. That's so gross. Um, are there any other questions, anything else anybody wants to share? Um, if not, we can wrap up a little early tonight. Go ahead, Paul. I just want to say that, you know, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. Uh, second, I, I just want to say that if you're thinking about investing out of state, uh, do your research and, you know, that fear and that kind of pain that you're feeling is uh, you growing as a person and an investor and you're learning something new that's not going to be easy. And that uh, that's how I um, justified that. So, um just you got to just pull that trigger and don't wait for the home run deal. Uh, get on base because if you're going to be waiting for that home run, you'll be waiting for a long time. And uh, use also use uh, use all these resources that are on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Bigger Pockets podcast is like it's such a wealth of knowledge that um, really I don't think I'd I'd uh, have the confidence to invest out of state without those resources. Uh, we live in a great time where those, those that information is at our fingertips, and uh, we're so there's really no no excuse not to do it. Uh, just don't hold don't don't be in your own way, 
and uh, reach out if uh, you have specific questions. Love that quote that you had, that the, the fear and pain that you feel as you growing. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. Yeah, I had a good one earlier when he said, money solves problems. I like that too. That I, was a pretty I, good, go ahead, Tom. I echo all that, and it's so true. And I, I did a tweet earlier today when I was sitting in my short-term rental, and I just never could have pictured myself sitting in that short-term rental on a street that I had been driving up and down for 20 years, always wanted to buy a house on there. And a year ago, I could have never pictured myself being in that house had I not surrounded myself with people, gotten the courage to <coughs> leave my nine to five, have faith in what I'm doing and continue to do what I do and surrounding yourself with those people, using those free resources is what it took. And, and I think especially the three of you up here, uh, Clint, Stephen, and Lauren, know that in December when I decided to quit my job last year, it was very scary and I was sending you guys DMs. So I think having the right people surround you and build you up and working towards the same goals is so important. And uh, I just want to say one more thing. I was doing a coaching call and the end of the call tonight he's like why are you doing this and this was a free intro call after after 15 minutes he's like why are you doing this and i'm like i get to connect even if you don't book a future paid session i get to connect with people all over the country all over the world and now i know an investor in oklahoma now i know an investor up in canada now i know you know all around this place so guess what if i have something or i'm going somewhere or i need guidance I've made that connection with that. And that's so important. That's worth me spending 15 minutes getting to know you and, and just sharing stories with you. So build other people up. Don't be a internet troll and, and tear other people down. I got to talk with a bunch of people today and I'm excited to get up. And I think I have seven more calls tomorrow. And that that's the awesomeness of doing the space and of surrounding yourself with people who are already doing what you want to do because they're going to help you build yourself up to be able to do what, what they're doing. Yeah. And we get to do a lot of that next week in FinCon, Tom, if anybody's going to be in FinCon in Orlando next week, make sure you uh, come up to me and Tom. I know Tom's going to have frugal gay t-shirts. If all goes well for me this week, I'll have adulting is easy t-shirts. So you should be able to recognize me because I'll have my eyes on my shirt. Anyways, everybody, this will be up if you kind of joined late. This will be up in a few days on the Adulting is Easy podcast feed. Please follow everybody up here. Thank you again, Paul. It was really fun getting to know you. And guys, we will see you for the next Wealth Wednesday.